Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 26. One day, Peter and John were going up, up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on, on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by your own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that was completely healed him as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken from foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways.
Well, good morning, everyone. If we haven't met, my name is Matt, and it's great joy to be opening up God's Word with you today, and also for us as a church to have people with us uh, for the first time uh, each and every week. Last week, we kicked off a six-week series called Gospel Heat. It was an introductory sermon, putting forward the proposition that we want to put a lot of careful thought, prayer, and energy into all aspects of our life together as a church, to keep making it, of course, a great place uh, to be as Christians and to grow to maturity in Christ, but also that all parts of our life together work helping us share the great news of Jesus with many, creating gospel heat, as we'll call it. That's kind of shorthand for that uh, premise throughout the series. Um, Thanks for the many encouragements and response slips uh, from last week. Among them was a very insightful question asking, well, if all of these different aspects of our life together are important, why then do we spend so much time on the maturity aspect of our life together focused around God's Word when we gather? Which I thought would make an excellent segue to me showing you a diagram I saw earlier in the year and have been tinkering with as I've prepared for the series. It's my kind of gospel heat diagram and it'll pop up uh, on screen. There you can see I did hand draw that as you can see. (laughs) Now, the swirl in the middle is meant to represent the gospel heat generated as each aspect of our life together, the biblical purposes of the Christian life play out. And the point of the diagram is that everything sort of affects our ability to share the good news of Jesus as people check out who Jesus is or if they come along on a Sunday to find out more, of course then we want our welcoming to be great. We want people to see a community where people consider it a great privilege to be a member, to be a part of a local church like this. We want people to see the way that we care for one another We want people to experience a community singing with passion as a real high point for the week as we all go about living all of life for God's glory, honour and praise. Now we're going to unpack various aspects of this across the six-week series. However, note for now the very foundational role we've tried to express in the diagram of the Word of God, growing us to maturity in all aspects of the Christian life. It was really the the point of last week's sermon in Romans 12 as we kicked off the series to see that it's the Word of God that transforms us by the renewing of our mind. It's the Spirit of God brandishing the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, that is absolutely foundational in this kind of renewing process that goes on in the Christian life. It's the Word of God working in us by the Spirit individually and corporately, that generates that passion for living all of life for the glory of God, inspiring and equipping us for mission, shaping our hearts to serve. It brings us wisdom and joy and shows us how to belong as a community together. The Word is foundational for all of this, hence it's a big part of fueling our time together as we gather on Sunday and in smaller groups throughout the week. Is the Christian life more than this? Absolutely, it's every hour of every day live for God's glory. Yet I'd want to put it to you, it's the Word of God that is the fuel for it all. So in today's sermon on mission, if uh, I get you to pop up the next slide, uh, James, you'll see the Word remains in our little kind of gospel heat diagram as we look at different aspects. 
Today we're focusing on mission and assuming as we'll go through the next week that all the other aspects of our church life need to be invested in as well. But we're really saying in terms of mission, we'd love to see God doing a great work among us, mobilising us to play our part in sharing the great news of Jesus and seeing people come to Christ thoroughly converted. So when I think about what it kind of takes for a community like us to keep growing in our kind of gospel sharpness, I think we need three things. Conviction, courage and capacity. Conviction that comes from the word that every person on the planet desperately needs to find salvation, which is available only through Jesus. Jesus offered for death, paying the price for our sins for all who believe. We do need capacity to share the word of God. Our winsome arguments and our devoted lifestyles are all important and have their place, but it's really, again, God's word that is our only offensive weapon in sharing the great news of Jesus with many which is why this year we've spent uh, quite a bit of time running 14 training events, helping people to use the excellent Word one-to-one resource, which I think helps us all have a leg up in sharing a gospel of Jesus with someone else. But it's also the Word of God that shows us, firstly, our need of courage, and that's where we're focusing our time on today, on the courage aspect of it all. This passage in Acts 4, now we just had Acts 3 read to us, that wasn't a a typo or mistake, Uh, and the uh, youth who are joining us today are year fives and sixes in today, for many of them for their first sort of full-length sermon. Uh, It's great to have you with us as you sort of think about making that step out from being in the kids' programs to sitting regularly in church with us. It's nice to have you sitting all up the back there. Um, But it's uh, this Acts 4 passage which shows us why we need courage, it gives us a picture of courage, but it also shows us the source of courage. The reason we read Acts 3 as we came in is because uh, it's really the kind of setup for what then happens uh, in Acts 4, and we'll unpack that in a minute. But I think I'd say for now that I think it's something quite common to all humanity across cultures, worldviews and time that we love stories of courage. Uh, With Jack and Sienna over the last year, we read through uh, all of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings together. Now, that might not be your genre, but it's been a very popular book over the decades. Kids and adults alike love stories of courage like that, where... Uh, The Hobbits, if you're familiar with them, Frodo and Sam face overwhelming odds and, not to give the end away, triumph uh, at the end with great courage. I think uh, our desire for telling stories of courage is why, I think particularly at the moment, uh, that the Anzac Day sort of spirit is so big now in Australia and we've particularly experienced it here as a church that meets in an RSL community. I reckon part of it is that amongst the overwhelming complexity of our modern lives, there's a great yearning, I think, not for war, of course, but there's part of all of us that yearns for simpler times where we were bound together in a common cause, facing down evil. And the great stories of courage that go along with it are very popular as they're shared on Anzac Day. Acts 4, which we're looking at today... I think performs much the same function in the Bible for Christians. 
it's a great example of courage for us. Now, as I said, we read Acts 3 to give the context of this story, uh, but because we're looking at Acts 4, particularly great to have your Bibles open today because we're looking at an entire section of Scripture not yet read to us in church. And I just want to say up front, I had a cracking sermon on this earlier in the year by a guy named Eugene Ho, and I want to say thanks to Eugene. It was really a great inspiration and really for this whole series. And in a less than uh, perfect sermon prep week, I'm very much standing on the shoulders of Eugene's excellent Bible work as I've thought through how to apply it to us. Acts, as uh, chapter 4 shows us, we need courage. Um, The occasion for Acts 4, as we read in Acts 3, is the healing of a man lame from birth. So he was uh, crippled, he was well known that that, uh, he was part of a community who had experienced this man like that uh, from birth and the apostles heal him. As that happens, everyone comes running, they all know him, so they're astonished to see him standing up and walking around and Peter uses this occasion to preach the gospel. He points to God, glorifying Jesus in this healing whom, by the way, is the one the crowds uh, just months earlier handed over to be executed. So as Peter kind of ramps up his gospel presentation, he's pretty pointed. He says to the crowd, this is Acts chapter 3, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. The Gospel presentation contains a very clear call to repent too. As they continue in Acts 3, Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now, I don't think it uh, takes much uh, explaining from me to argue that that would take courage to say to a crowd like that, repent of your sins, find forgiveness from God, you killed the author of life. (laughs) But I want you to note, it's not just part of the gospel presentation uh, to this particular setting. You see it across the New Testament, so if you like... And youth up the back, you might like to keep your finger in uh, the page in Acts 4 and turn to Acts 17, which is on page 1112. We're just going to look at two verses, Acts 17, verses 30 to 31, where Paul is preaching to a very different audience. They're not Jewish. He's in Athens in a very different setting. But look at the similarities as Paul talks to this crowd not because they killed Jesus, but because of their propensity to worship any and all of the false gods that existed in that day. The Apostle Paul says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day that he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead." Repentance has always been at the heart of the gospel proclamation. It's down through church history, centuries later as the Reformation uh, kicked off in the 16th century. A lot of people know, and uh, about half our kids sitting up the back go to a Lutheran church, so you might have heard that what was the real kind of 
point that the Reformation kicked off was Luther nailing his 95 Thesis uh, to the door of the church. Now, a lot of people know that story, at least vaguely. Almost no one knows what was in the 95. You can find them out fairly easy, but we just don't focus on that. But Luther's first thing he wanted to say was, point one of his 95 points, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, and he quotes uh, Matthew chapter 4, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. It's a challenging message, the Gospel, that calls all people everywhere to repent, which means stop living for ourselves in disobedience to God, but rather turn 180 degrees and follow God, pursuing His definition of good, trying to leave behind sin in our life, continually, as Luther put it, repenting of our sins in all of life. The Gospel, this great news of Jesus, says to us all... In the past, God has overlooked your ignorance, but now he calls you to repent. It says to the religious church attender who trusts in their attendance, their piety and good works, it says they won't save you, repent. It says to the pleasant family and friends that you might know through school who don't yet know Jesus, that their love of family, their environmental activism, that won't save you, turn to Jesus, repent. It says to the Muslim world, your good works, your keen obedience to the Quran and veneration of the prophet, that won't save you. Repent and turn to Jesus. It says to the Aboriginal elder, your love of land and dreamtime stories won't save you. You need Jesus, turn to him and repent. It says to our politicians and the social elite, you are not the saviours of the world, Jesus is, turn to him and repent. You can see just, you know, random shot at that, you need courage to present this message faithfully. The apostles certainly needed courage, as chapter 4 kicks off. While the apostles are still speaking, uh, we're now in Acts 4, verses 1 and 2, we see they're still speaking to the crowds about this, and in walks the Sadducees, the, the powerful religious elite, with the temple guard, plenty of soldiers. And they are greatly disturbed at this preaching, verse 2. Fair enough, by the way, you killed the author of life and so did your leaders, uh, turn to him and repent. So we understand why they're upset. As, uh, but the apostles are still preaching this message of uh, repentance, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They are seized and thrown in jail. This is the first recorded imprisonment for preaching the gospel. Acts finishes with another uh, imprisonment with the Apostle Paul. There's plenty along the way. There's been plenty in church history ever since. And there are plenty of cases today. But this is the first. And the next day, we read that a uh, very powerful court is convened. I checked it out. It's a 71-member court. The same court that tried and sent Jesus to his execution just months earlier. The threat of death, just kind of feel the tension of it, brought before this massive panel, Peter and John, the threat of death is very real. And for Peter, he's been here before too. night before Jesus died, Jesus, I'll follow you to death. As he kind of approaches the crowd and gets into it, he he backs out, he denies Jesus three times. He doesn't want to step up. Peter desperately needs courage here. 
as I reflected on it this week, I am astounded how much I need courage for far less. You probably know the feeling well too when the opportunity to stand for Jesus comes to present in the schoolyard, the workplace, at the family dinner, talking with neighbours on a summer's night. We need courage and to help give us courage, we need people to model it for us today. We do need pictures and stories of courage to inspire us. And this is the first one here given for this reason. So I feel that very real fear of death here. What we see Peter do is not defend himself, but the name of Jesus, as we read uh, verses 8 to 10. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, it takes a fair bit of courage to say that, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And after the defence, there's quite a bold declaration as Peter continues, verses 12 and 13. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realised they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. Once you kind of get the setting, you can feel why they would be so astonished. Now, the word used for courage here is used quite sparingly in the Bible, sometimes translated as boldness. But it's actually a word loaded with meaning. So for our year five, sixes up the back, I don't do this every week. I give myself license once a year to introduce one of the original language words in the Greek or the Hebrew. So I'm cashing in my chip with this word today. <laughs> the word we read as courage or boldness doesn't quite grasp the full meaning of the Greek word parousia, which is underneath it. Because parousia describes someone undertaking an action of great risk, especially in the act of speech or attitude that involves being honest and speaking plainly, quite often in situations like here in Acts, where you're speaking that truth to power. So it's an, an action of great risk. It's, can you kind of feel that's a little bit higher than what we usually uh, use uh, when we say courage. So, parousia, word for the day, word for the year, really, if you only uh, learn one uh, Greek word. So, this 71-member powerful council recognised this in Peter and John. They had real parousia, as they declared, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved." It's on this point that the gospel, I think, quite unfairly often gets painted as somewhat narrow and exclusive. People say, what do you mean only Jesus can save? Isn't that a little exclusive? I want to push back on that assumption. The good news of Jesus is the most inclusive news of salvation on the planet. Salvation in Hinduism, for example, is only for those who can generate more good acts than bad, good karma, as we call it. And often the view is taken that if you're born poor or with a disability, it's due to bad karma in a previous life. It's only the strong who can overcome, who can have real hope. In Buddhism, it's only those who can overcome the cycle of suffering, death and rebirth by cultivating virtue, 
and find the Buddhist path to liberation. It's only for those who can overcome through great effort over many lifetimes that you might have hope on finding nirvana, salvation. And in our sort of common worldview that we operate, the kind of world, we've moved on from God's secular worldview that much of the West uh, encourages us along, we're told constantly you can only find salvation in this life through self-realisation, achievement, the accumulation of experiences and belongings. And if you're born disadvantaged or have an illness which compromises your ability to pursue these goals, well, it's just bad luck or bad genes, as Richard Dawkins puts it. Only Jesus offers salvation to all, whether you're strong or weak, privileged or disadvantaged, and it's not by our effort that we're saved. The gospel of Jesus is thoroughly unique on that point. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And given, I think, is the most important word in that sentence. Salvation is given from a holy God who loves us, who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, so that all might find salvation who repent and believe. Which is why the gospel, you know, we're heading into Christmas time, you read those Christmas stories, the angels coming, you know, declaring good news of great joy for all people. It really is because it's for all, it's given, it's a gift. Yes, it confronts every person on the planet, we need courage, but also take courage that it's great news we're sharing for all who believe. And the last aspect, I think, of this great picture of courage we have in Acts 4 is one of what I would call godly defiance. Pick it up at verse 18. So Peter and John have been sent out to the naughty chair while this you know, 71-member council have a bit of a chat. They call them back in again, verse 18, and command them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Feel the power imbalance at that point. But Peter and John reply with Parisia, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him being Jesus? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And with further threats, they let them go. Increasingly, we're going to need this attitude in our world. There's a whole sermon in it, but for time's sake, I'll skip to our last point on the source of courage illustrated in verse 23 to 31. I think this is really important because, you know, I can do my best job at firing you up for needing courage, but if you don't know where to get it, pointless sermon. We need to know the source of courage and we have it here in verses 23 to 31. As Peter and John are released and go back to the believers, there's no despair, there's no fear, there's no wringing of hands. Instead, they lifted their voices in prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said. And as you see them pray, they acknowledge God as the all-powerful creator of heaven and earth. They acknowledge that God has already let them know that the nations will rage and plot against God's anointed one, Jesus. Nothing is happening here that is outside of God's sovereign hand. Pick up their line of reasoning with me from verse 27. 
where they say, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. But listen to what they say next. They did what your power, saying to God, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand what will happen. God's in total control and they know this. There is nothing more comforting in this world when you're looking for courage to speak for Jesus than knowing there's a sovereign God in charge of it all and to pray to him. They did, they prayed for Parisia. Verse 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Parisia. God answered their prayers, the room was shaken, they are not, and the Holy Spirit enables them to speak the word of God with boldness, with Parisia. Now, as I said to you earlier, I do struggle to find anything close to uh, Parisia-style boldness in far less intimidating situations. But I do pray for it regularly. And my experience is God is very good. I, for example, really enjoyed the training we had earlier in the year uh, from Richard Borgonen, helping to equip us to open the gospel one-to-one together. He was the guy who put it together, came from London. We had him here. He kind of started off this whole word, one, word one-to-one training cycle. He has delivered this all over this world. And he says, you know, it's different for different people, different cultures, but roughly speaking... If you have five people who know you and like you and you ask them, would they like to find out more about Jesus and read through a gospel with you? He said, about one in five will say yes. He said, one of the four who will turn you down will probably come to you in the next 18 to 24 months and tap you on the shoulder and say, you know that Bible thing, I wouldn't mind doing it now. So I kind of think, I don't know, I'm an optimist, I think that's fairly good stats. But Richard says, you know, quite theologically, he's correctly he says clearly without God we can do nothing so he says I'm never put off by the four who say no I'm just looking for the one in five that God's already at work in and offer to read the Bible with them so here's me sitting at lunch with a mate on the Wednesday after the weekend where we had this training I'm sitting there thinking I'm starting to get nervous thinking you know if I'm ever going to do anything helpful with this I've got to do it myself so I'm thinking is my friend going to be one of the one in five. Now, I don't know about you, but when I start thinking these things, I get nervous, my mouth goes uh, a little bit dry. I'm often filled with self-doubt, actually, but I do start shooting up arrow prayers, and the opportunity comes. What did you do on the weekend? Well, I went to a training course to find out how to read the Bible one-to-one with people who want to find out more about Jesus. They gave us these great notes, they're super helpful, and I was actually wondering if you wanted to give it a crack with me. I won't ask you any questions other than in the end, I'll simply want to know, did you like that and would you like to do it again? I'll buy you a coffee, how about we give it a go? Now, I did check uh, with my mate that he was happy for me to share his response. He's regularly with us. He was here at uh, 9 o'clock today. And he was happy for me to share what he said. So here's me nervously saying, you know, do you want to give it a crack? He looked me in the eye and he said, you know, I was just driving over here today thinking I need to really check out this whole Christian thing again, but I didn't know what to ask you and here you are offering this, so let's do it. (laughs) Cue my amazement. (laughs) I kind of had a little moment with God 
as if he was saying, Matt, do you really think you're doing this alone by your own strength? (laughs) Of course not. We all need to pray more to a sovereign God for courage. Firstly, by our definition of the word, which is quite low, and then once, you know, maybe if we get there a few times, we might start praying for Parisia. (laughs) Because as a church family, I think we're all, for our regulars here at least, pretty settled when it comes to conviction. Only Jesus saves, all people need to know. That's uncontroversial around here amongst our regulars. Capacity, you know, not just trying to pay you a compliment, I think we're a fairly bright bunch and can figure most things out, and we've had over 100 people trained in the Word one-to-one this year, and it's been a great joy to do so. So I think courage is really where it's at. Someone said to me when I was talking to them about this earlier in the year, said, Matt, just work on conviction and courage, and people will work. If you've got conviction and courage, you'll work out how to share the gospel. Now, he wasn't playing down the role to work on capacity, and obviously we have done that. But I think he was making a point. If you're convicted, people need to know about Jesus, and you have courage, you can sort the rest out. And we have some great examples amongst us. So all I'm saying is, if you haven't done the word one-to-one training, the opportunity arises for you to share the gospel. I will train you. I great joy this week, uh, Trinity Church Unley, the church uh, we planted 18 months ago, ran their first life course, had a great turnout, a number of people wanted to read the Bible one-to-one following up from that, so there were a bunch of Christians sitting around my uh, dinner table this week on Monday night looking to be trained to how to do so. It was a great joy. God is good. So just know if that situation comes up, I will train you, (laughs) if you need it. Half of you are smarter than me anyway and don't need me to teach you. (laughs) But how then, the question is, do we generate courage? Because, as I said, I can fire you up all I like, but if you go away thinking, I need more courage, but don't know what to do, then it's a pretty pointless sermon. First stop, clearly to reiterate, needs to be to pray to our sovereign God. As we continue to pray for Parisia, for boldness, I think we really do need inspirational stories of courage. I was thinking for our five sixes today, uh, here for the first time, and uh, those amongst us with uh, younger children, why not try and read through Pilgrim's Progress together? So any of the kids up the back, anyone read Pilgrim's Progress before? We had a number of people at nine. no, oh, there's a couple, yeah, a couple of our adults at least. Pilgrim's Progress is a great allegorical story of finding courage in the Christian life. It was written by a guy called John Bunyan in the 17th century from prison as he was being persecuted by the Church of England of all uh, things for having the boldness to share the gospel outside of a sanctified building uh, in Reformation England. When it came out, it became the second best-selling book for many decades, second only to the Bible. Such was its impact. So much do we love stories of courage like that. And from 1648 or whenever it first came out, it has never been out of print since. It's a hugely monumental book. I commend to you kids, I've been thinking, what do we read after Lord of the Rings uh, with the kids? I found the answer this week preparing. Jack, I hope you're up for it. (laughs) For the adults, as I was looking for stories of courage this week, and I'm a little out of time and I don't know the appropriateness of sharing some of these stories, but for the adults, 
why not read some of the stuff coming out about the Christian church amongst the killing fields with the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia? I came across some stories this week, just mind-blowing courage, as whole families knelt around, just about to be executed, still proclaiming the gospel to the villagers, to their persecutors, just about to execute them, to repent and turn to Jesus. Some of the most amazing stories in recent history of real courage. I also think we have some great examples of courage amongst us. And uh, Mike will be smiling up the back at this point because I surprised him at nine, but I can't do it uh, twice in a day. Mike and Karen are here from Church Missionary Society, um, uh, here on their home assignment for a while. When I was thinking through who are some of the people that I've really looked to when I felt like I've needed courage, it's actually often been to Mike and Karen uh, in their time in Namibia, getting their prayer notes, their updates and being involved in that. Just sort of think, wow, we'll hear just a little bit after this sermon and then more in our community groups if Mike and Karen are coming to yours. But, you know, in terms of heading into a really difficult situation, having to find real kind of Parisia-type courage to continue on for three years. Now, Mike, as he's already done, will, you know, uh, deny this, that there's anything close to Parisia going on here. I reckon everyone who's part of their prayer group uh, here at CMS will side with me, not Mike and Karen. They've both showed an, showed an extraordinary amount of courage over the last three years, and I personally have found it very inspirational, and I want to say thanks to Mike and Karen and Millie and Mitch uh, for all of that. It's one of the many reasons why, you know, for today, and we'll hear a bit more from Mike in a second, why the CMS leaflets are on uh, your seats today, uh, why we think uh, firstly, every household should have some commitment, prayerfully and financially, to world mission. And uh, firstly, I could do a long argument on why I think that's the right response to the gospel. But for your own benefit, following along people like our CMS missionaries, you often get so many illustrations of great courage that as we see them exacting their mission there, it fires you up for our mission here. And also, as we head into Christmas, I just want to encourage you to pray, as we've said, the main point of the sermon, don't remember anything else, remember to pray to our sovereign God for opportunities to share the gospel and give it a try. Our mission teams have been uh, working hard, uh, both at generating lots of new contacts in the community as we head into Christmas, but also giving us many opportunities to speak to our neighbours, our colleagues and friends. All kicks off on Thursday night as thousands walk past the RSL on, uh, you know, Halloween hotspot in Adelaide. We'll have free coffees. It's going to be hot. Let's just make iced coffees. The uh, you know photo booth uh, for the families, uh, all dressed up. Uh, we'll have things uh, to give away to the adults, including invites to our men's and women's evangelistic night coming up a few weeks later. Uh, just up on uh, screen, James, I'll get you to pop up uh, the ladies' night. Invites are coming this week uh, from the printer. The ladies have gone with good news, sliders and ciders, and the men have gone with the next one, good news, chicken and brews, is the theme uh, there. Now, these are easy to invite, kind of next steps uh, for people, to, for us really to mix our friends, uh, to mix colleagues and neighbours and our school community and the RSL community all together and share something small of the good news of Jesus as we head into Christmas. It's not 
it's, no, it's nowhere near the full sort of uh, repent and believe kind of presentation of the gospel. It's just the next step for many. I think in our current culture, there's lots of stumbling blocks people have to come to get to the point where they're happy to look at their sin, consider the gospel. And we're trying to help each other take steps with that. And on both nights, there'll be a small amount of gospel content with an invite, uh, some very easy next steps for people to take. Everyone will get a copy of Rico Tice's Very Different Christmas, a wonderful outline of the gospel, particularly at Christmas time. Uh, people will get invited along to Christmas. But also at the same time, we'll sort of say, look, if you, if you really would, everyone once should check out who Jesus is. We're the kind of church community. We want to help you do that well. We've got these great notes. If you want to catch up and read with someone, just ask the person that brought you today. So it's not just us up the front doing stuff. What we really want is our whole community showing courage, inviting people along and knowing on the night things will be said that give you opportunities on the night or the weeks to come to follow up together, to say, oh, did you get to read very different Christmas? Do you want to come to Christmas? Would you be interested in exploring who Jesus is through reading the Bible one-to-one? What's missing, I think, is not conviction, it's not capacity, and I say preach this sermon as much to myself as anyone else, what we need is courage. <laughs> so I'm going to close by praying for that now. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you so much for this uh, first recorded occurrence of opposition and imprisonment and the threat of death for proclaiming the gospel. We thank you for the great courage of uh, the apostles, Peter and John. We thank you for the very clear way that you worked in their life to give them that courage in response to a prayerful community. We pray, Lord, that we as a church might be a prayerful community looking for many opportunities to share the gospel with others. Please give us great courage. Uh, We think of our uh, teens at high school where it often comes at great cost uh, to identify with Jesus. Please give them courage. We thank you for our five sixes today uh, and uh, pray that as they grow Uh, through the teen years and into adults, that you would give them a lifetime of courage standing with Jesus and seeking to play their part in sharing the good news of Christ with others. Lord, you know each one of our hearts and you know uh, the circles we mix in and we want to express our trust that you are a sovereign God. Please give us courage and please, as we head into Christmas, might you give us the great blessing of having the opportunity to share the great news of Jesus with many. And we ask boldly that many might respond in repentance and faith and uh, join a community that is seeking to grow in its gospel heat, doing all things well uh, for your glory and for the salvation of others. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious and very powerful name. Amen.